Welcome to Tiger Tags, where we dive a little deeper into the more entertaining events to come out of the area that the average person tends to avoid. If you're new to our show, be sure to tune in regularly as we will talk about in detail some stories that may just convince you that tax is more entertaining than just a payment for your wonderful U.S. government every spring. My name is Sam, and I'm here with Ben and Will, and today we will be discussing the tax evasion case of Robert Brockman, CEO of Reynolds & Reynolds, which is based out of Dayton, Ohio, and is the industry leader of providing technology services to auto dealerships. Brockman may not be a household name, and his tax evasion case may not draw the appeal from the public like one from a pop culture celebrity, but believe it or not, Brockman has been charged by the IRS with the largest amount of individual tax evasion in the United States history. Ben is going to run through a summary of Brockman's story, with Will and I explaining some of the more tax and business-based implications that relate to it. Hey guys, so I'm Ben, and I'm going to kind of be summarizing this story to y'all. Uh, at this point, before we get started, it kind of helps to point out that this is an individual case. Uh, Reynolds and Reynolds does not have any criminal activity tied to their business specifically. It falls completely onto Brockman and it dates back before he even bought out Reynolds and Reynolds. And so to start this whole story off, we're going to start all the way back in the 1970s when Brockman, um, he was an experienced salesman. And he left his marketing job at Ford Motors to pursue success in programming. And this guy was just insanely bright and he pretty much taught himself from scratch how to program. And this was at a time when obviously computer technology was not super developed yet. Uh, but by the end of the decade, he was supplying car manufacturers with dozens of systems. And so this went on for about 20 years and things really started to change for Brockman's business in the 1990s as he still had a relationship with Ford Motors and uh, they decided to sell its main computer service line to him for $103 million. And the most important part of this deal was not really the cost, but it was the stipulations that came with it. Uh, through the contract, Brockman was able to use Ford's system as his own and he could use their trademarks and their company name for up to five years, even though he was not a member of the company. And so this is kind of when we start to see the unethical side of Bro uh, Brockman come out a little bit. Um, he would kind of persuade dealers into entering lengthy contracts for his products. And even though they didn't really know his true intentions, they kind of assumed that Brockman was a member of Ford Motors himself because he wouldn't specify that he was just using their brand. And these contracts have been given the names Darth Vader contracts. And Will's going to kind of explain this in a little more detail of what these contracts uh, had included in them. Pretty safe to say that Brockman was a bit of a shady character. Like Ben said, Ford sold their IT services to Brockman, which gave Brockman an easy way to trick the already existing customers who Ford treated extremely well into what are called Darth Vader contracts. A Darth Vader contract seemed like a normal, well-intentioned business contract where you were buying Brockman's superior computer systems. However, he would lock these customers into contracts that lasted longer than the life of the computer systems they bought to force them into buying extremely costly upgrades to the system. It would be like if I sold you a sandwich for $5 and I knew it was going to go bad before you could finish eating it. But when you attempted to replace the sandwich with one that hasn't gone bad, I just decided to charge you $25 because you couldn't get my sandwich anywhere else. This was an unethical business practice on a multitude of levels, but this is Brockman we're talking about. He wasn't satisfied with simply scamming these people out of money by locking them into bogus contracts. He achieved this by taking advantage of the goodwill Ford had built up between themselves and their customers. 
So to continue on with our story, in the late 1990s, Brockman met Robert Smith, and he was discussing a buyout of his extremely valuable software business. And really what ended up taking place is Brockman and Smith kind of formed this bond, and Brockman offered Smith the deal of a lifetime, uh, supposedly. And he, they basically, what they ended up doing is, is Brockman invested a billion dollars into Smith's Vista Equity Partners, which is a private equity firm that he would use to invest in other businesses and therefore make tons of money. And uh, Brockman and Smith both began to set up offshore investment companies um, to fund all of these ventures they were doing. And Brockman was using a charitable trust that was located in Bermuda that he had had for years. And so these kind of these kind of investments can be legal. Um, I know it kind of sounds a little shady when we're talking about offshore accounts and things like that, but it's a pretty common practice, honestly, um, as it's called income shifting, where you will shift uh, tax income or taxable income from a place that has a higher tax rate like the United States to another country that has a lower tax rate. However, there are several special circumstances in Brockman's case that made it actually illegal. And Will's going to go into this a little bit more. And this is really where we start seeing the tax fraud start with Brockman. And so this is really where we start to see um, some implications of, of tax applied to this case. Let's make no mistake. Brockman was extremely smart about the way he used offshore accounts to benefit himself. Normally, offshore accounts can be illegal depending on how much control the beneficiaries have over all the assets and how they use the assets. The problem was Brockman secretly controlled 98% of the offshore account that he was using to hide roughly $3 billion untaxed dollars from the IRS. The specific regulations regarding the control of offshore investments are discussed in detail in section 871 of the Internal Revenue Code and confirms the illegal nature of having one party with majority control of these sources. I personally like to think about it like having a cookie jar in your house while you have your friends over and they each ask to have one of your cookies. Well, you really don't wanna give them any cookies. So you decide to tell them that your mom controls all the cookies and you just kind of receive whatever cookies she gives you. But in reality, you could really get as many cookies as you want at any point in time without going to her for any permission. You just don't want to give your friends any of your cookies. On the outside looking in, it seemed as though Brockman was simply a passive beneficiary to this offshore trust. That's essentially what Brockman did with the offshore accounts by using his CFO as a shield from the IRS. So as all this stuff was happening and Brockman kind of started to get involved in the first tax fraud of his career or major tax fraud, uh, many believe that he was taking advantage of Smith also. Uh, many reports have come out over the past several years that he was really pressuring his partner to generate a hefty return on, on his initial investment. And he and there's also some speculation that he threatened Smith that he wasn't going to be able to stay in the partnership. And this was happening because Brockman illegally had so much control over what was going on. Um, over the next decade, Vista Equity would buy out many other software firms and they would use the capital from behind the scenes from Brockman um, that he had accumulated both legally and illegally. And this made Smith and Brockman billionaires. It essentially had a snowball effect. It gave them more and more control over the software industry. And in layman's terms, they would purchase a company. They would improve it using Brockman's business strategies because again, he had an insanely high IQ, very smart guy. And then they would generate a huge return on their initial investment. And this continued for years. Uh, up until about 2006, this is pretty much what the, the duo did. Um, Brockman enlisted Smith's help to buy out Reynolds and Reynolds in 2006, which is where we see that company come into play. And the two of them purchased it for a cost of $2.4 billion. 
And Rockman now had access to thousands of new clients and he once again used these Darth Vader contracts to make even more off of them. And things were moving pretty steady until 2008 when the Great Recession hit. And this is where we see Brockman for the second time commit tax fraud and this time with several very illegal actions. Um, Reynolds and Reynolds loans were trading at a record low and Brockman had signed all these contracts stating that he would never buy his own company's debt. Um, as the majority owner, that was extremely illegal and unethical to do. However, he secretly purchased $20 million worth of it in 2009. And he had a bunch of assistance from several people, one of them being his Australian attorney, who was one of the most well-known attorneys of the time. And he would go on to hide these purchases with his offshore companies as well that Will was mentioning earlier. Um, he cashed out the debt and laundered up to $57 million of the proceeds and the IRS knew nothing of it. And he basically used all this illegal income to fund his expensive lifestyle. He purchased a $33 million yacht and a $15 million ranch in Colorado. And this is also, people have speculated over time and did not know if Smith really knew of how, to what extent the tax fraud was. However, it has been proven in recent years that Smith's funds were also involved in all of this because of his ownership in Reynolds and Reynolds as well. Now, if this story already doesn't have the implications of a crime novel with all the tax fraud and, and the personal betrayals and all that crazy stuff, uh, Robert Smith's private life became a factor around 2011 because he began a relationship with a Playboy model, Hope Dorachik, after separating from his wife. And this had an astronomical effect on this entire, entire case. Um, and, and Brockman kind of saw it coming before it even happened. Over the next five years, Smith kind of started seeing the writing on the wall too. And at this point, it was 2014. And Smith decided that he needed to back out of Reynolds and Reynolds because the two were very aware that the IRS was going to start pursuing an audit on their businesses. And um, around this time, Brockman kind of sat on all of his wealth, even though he knew that there was a really good chance that they were going to get found out. Um, but Smith kind of started making some last-ditch efforts to make amends with the IRS. And uh, Sam's going to go into a little more of that and tell you what Smith did around uh, 2014, 2015. So in late 2014, Smith began to increase his frequency of philanthropic uh, activities using millions of untaxed dollars to fund this charitable giving. Uh, even up until May of 2019, just five months before the IRS announced their findings about Brockman and Smith, Smith donated approximately $40 million to wipe out the debt of 400 Morehouse College seniors. At the time, no one knew of Smith's tax evasion, but in October of the same year, Smith would admit to using millions of dollars of these funds to purchase a vacation home in California, ski properties, and even commercial property in France. However, Smith has complied with authorities in, in the indictment and has been portrayed as remorseful, remorseful about his wrongdoings. He was quoted saying, I should never have put myself in this situation. Smith has been seen for years as a role model in the community and an example of what young men and women across America should strive to be. With his generous donations to charity throughout the years, now stained with the recent findings by the IRS, Smith hopes to gain favorability with the public yet again. And so, yeah, so now, now that you kind of know the story of Smith, too, since he's very important to this as well, we'll, we'll go back to Brockman, considering that he is the main um, one at fault in this case. Uh, pretty much this whole time that Smith in the past 10 years has been trying to get the IRS off his trail with all these donations and things and making these deals, 
Brockman was really he, – he knew it was coming, but he still wasn't really going to sacrifice any of the money that he had gotten untaxed illegally. Um, one of the things that happened, though, in 2017, which was very crazy, is that he sent his lawyer down to Mississippi to burn a bunch of evidence of the offshore assets. And this didn't really help at all because in, in 2019 it was discovered along with the rest of the case, and it just made Brockman look even worse uh, in the eyes of the government. Um, as Sam said, Smith was very um, apologetic for his, his involvement in all of this, and he actually agreed to help turn against Brockman. And the case was brought forth to the, or by the RRS in, the, in October 2020, um, and it's a still ongoing case. And officially, Brockman is being charged with a total of $2 billion in tax evasion, and this is the largest amount in United States history for an individual. So now that we've gone through this whole thing and summarized this case, uh, pretty much the main takeaways from this are that even though the majority of you listeners probably haven't heard about this tax case, it is a pretty interesting one for sure. And also it's one of the more important financial stories to come out of the past year. Uh, many people don't really know about it because of it being a pan the pandemic and, and everything, but there's a good chance that this, as the, as the trial continues to go forth, that this case really comes down to the public eye.